My name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm excited each and every week to join you for some encouragement on this journey that we call the Christian life. And I'm really excited today to share with you an interview that I did with Tim Barnett, who works for the apologetics organization Stand to Reason and has a very popular YouTube channel called Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. So over the next two episodes, that is what we are going to do. I'll be sharing the first part of that interview momentarily, but first I wanted to give you a sample of Tim's work by letting you hear one of his short apologetics videos. As a Southern Baptist, I grew up reading the Bible, maybe a backslidden Baptist, but I still know the Bible. Jesus never once talked about abortion, never once. And it was happening back in ancient times. It was happening during his time. Never once mentioned it for people perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue. It's heresy. Go, if you don't believe me, if that makes you angry, why don't you do something you haven't done in a long time? Open the Bible, open the New Testament, read the red letters, you won't see it there. In this video, MSNBC host Joe Scarborough tries to correct pro-life Christians by appealing to something Jesus supposedly did not say. Here's his logic. If Jesus didn't mention abortion, then it didn't matter to him. And if it didn't matter to him, then it shouldn't matter to you. All right, let's pull out the red pen and make some corrections. First, let's assume Joe is right and Jesus never said anything about abortion. What follows from that? The simple answer is nothing. Think about it. What did Jesus say about slavery or child sacrifice or spousal abuse? Well, nothing that we know of. Should we take his silence on these issues to mean that they didn't matter to him? Of course not. So even if Jesus didn't say anything about abortion, nothing follows. Joe is offering a textbook example of an argument from silence, trying to conclude what someone did believe from what they didn't say. Jesus' silence is not approval. Second, we do know Jesus had a high view of scripture. He referred to it as the word of God that cannot be broken. That's why he constantly refuted his opponents by appealing to the authority of his scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Implicit in Joe's rant is the presumption that Jesus' words, or lack thereof, are more authoritative than the rest of scripture. While it's true that Jesus gave the red letters, the Holy Spirit gave the black letters, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were on the same page. So all scripture is God's word, not just the red letters, and that includes this passage from Psalm 139. For you my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Notice that according to this passage, the psalmist was himself even before he was born. So in light of Jesus' explicit affirmation of the scriptures, we know what he believed about the unborn. The same thing the psalmist affirmed, that we exist in the womb as ourselves before we are born. Third, Christians have always been against abortion. This isn't new. For example, in the Didache, written in the first century, it says, you should shall not procure an abortion nor destroy a newborn child. So since the very beginning of Christianity, the church has openly condemned the killing of children, both born and unborn. So that is just one example of the way that Tim takes modern progressive Christian logic and turns it on its head with the truth of scripture. 
And so I was extremely impressed with the way that he does that. And I reached out a few weeks ago and asked if he would be willing to do an interview on my podcast and talk about his testimony and his journey to becoming an apologist. And he agreed to do that. So at this point, I would like to share with you the first part of my interview with Tim Barnett of Red Pen Logic. Before we get into that interview, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And I've chosen as the quote of the day a very familiar verse from 2 Timothy 2.15, which I believe frames this discussion very well. And it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I just really feel like this is a key verse in all of the Bible, especially today, when you have so many people who claim to be in Christian pulpits speaking for God, but do not understand the true essence of Scripture, uh, especially the fact that Scripture does not change its meanings over time, and there's a limit to the personal applications we can draw to Scripture. It says what it says, and it says it for all time. In Hebrews, we are told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my prayer for you would be that you understand that the truths of Scripture are immutable and unchangeable, and that is the very reason why it is trustworthy. So with that introduction being given, here is the first part of my conversation with Tim Barnett of Red Pen Logic. Well, I am super excited today, folks, because I have the opportunity to interview uh, Tim Barnett from Red Pen Logic. I discovered Tim through one of my random scrolls through Facebook Watch, and I really like the way he takes videos of errors in theology and walks us through why they are errors and why it's important to cling to the truth. So welcome to the show, Tim. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about your growing up years? Yeah, definitely. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I like to tell people, you know, when the church doors were open, um, you know, we were there. So my mom was in the choir. My dad was an usher, small country church. Um, you know, it was one of those things where... On, on some Sundays, you know, you knew when they were spreading manure because you're out in the country, you'd come out and, you know, you, you could smell it kind of thing. So country, small country church. And uh, and that was just kind of the way of life and our routine. Um, and uh, I, you know, I loved my upbringing. I wouldn't, you know, trade it for anything. But the one thing that that I wasn't uh, getting was kind of like real kind of theological training. So, man, I love the people at this church. Uh, in fact, 
you know, I would refer to them as aunt and uncle, you know, to this day. These are people that weren't really my blood relatives, but were like family doing the potluck thing after church, um, hanging out after church, that kind of thing. So we definitely got the relationship aspect and I got to see Christ, you know, lived out through these people. But the one thing that looking back now, I see that we never really um, dove deep into theology and apologetics. In fact, I didn't know really any theology and apologetics growing up. Um, if you were to ask me about the Trinity, I would have likely said, huh? You know, um, so it was it was a great place to build relationship, but it wasn't um, it wasn't where I was necessarily being fed. And I think as we kind of discuss here, um, this contributed to me, you know, treating church more like a social club. I had my friends at church and then I had my friends at school. And so involved in in parties and, and all that stuff kind of getting pulled away in my in my teen years from the church community. And there wasn't any kind of intellectual thing that was kind of holding me um, or sustaining my faith. Sadly, I think that I can relate to you in a lot of ways as far as that's concerned. Not that I felt like my churches growing up were theologically lacking, but definitely on the youth group front, I felt mm -hmm. like we were more focused on fun mm -hmm. and not enough on rightly dividing the word of truth. And there was actually a point at which I just stopped going to the youth group and joined the adult Sunday school class because I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be that guy that goes through his whole teen years and can talk about the all-nighter parties that he had or the mm -hmm. games where you hit somebody off a stool with a pillow until they fall, <laughs> but can't tell you, you know, what's the most important truths in the Bible. So I yeah. definitely can no, relate to that. That's really, that's a, that's a good point. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, we didn't, yeah, we didn't have that, um, kind of like the adult group we met on, on a Friday night and it was a lot of fun, man. We had the gym nights, we had the laser tag, we had the, you know, those fun things as you described. Um, but usually there was a, you know, a devotional or, you know, read the daily bread. I don't know if you, your audience will be familiar with the daily bread, but you know, this kind of like one page devotional has a Bible verse and that was it. And so if you were to ask me, you know, as a 15 year old, Tim, what's the gospel? I, I don't think I would have been able to articulate anything close to the actual gospel. Um, you know, uh, I might've said God is love or something like that. Cause I knew maybe some of the buzzwords like love and forgiveness and, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, I just, I, there was some real substance lacking in there. And unfortunately, there wasn't really even an adult Bible study. You know, church on Sunday was the Bible study. So uh, it was, it was, um, yeah, we were missing something crucial. Well, as I said, that's really interesting because I definitely related to some of that. And I'm sure people in my audience will as well. So mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about your family now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, what's interesting is 
none of my family goes to that country church we grew up in um, anymore. Um, we kind of all kind of transition. It started with my oldest sister. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And we're all very close and they're all believers. It's great. Um, but my oldest sister kind of transitioned going to this bigger church, actually in the town that we lived in. So it made more sense. Um, but what we found there and what kind of attracted to me to this church, not just the girls, you know, because especially in my later teen years, um, when you're in a small country church, you know, half the half the youth group I was related to, um, you know, so we ended up going to this this other church. And um, and what we found there was a rich uh, theology. Um, the pastor would do like a, you know, I remember him going like 80 weeks through the book of uh, the Gospel of John and like 40 weeks through Romans. So he would do verse by verse. And he'd start each service by asking like some kind of fundamental question that would grab your attention. And then he would answer it over the course of uh, expounding on, on the text. And I thought, man, where has this been all my life? So, so that's where I, uh, that's where my family is um, now. Most of my family now, although my, my wife and our, our three girls actually have transitioned to a smaller church Again, uh, there's something about that small field that I actually really missed. Um, and so we've been attending a, a smaller church now. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, amazing how God kind of works through different situations. Um, I would say that uh, when I left high school, went to university, I ended up getting a degree in physics because I wanted to be a physics teacher. I wanted to be a math teacher. And your audience is probably thinking, ew, gross. You know, why would anyone want to do that? You know, um, but I, I loved science growing up and I, and I actually was pretty good at math. So I ended up getting a degree in um, math and science. And then, um, but when I was in the secular school getting my degree, I was surrounded by, you know, very smart people like science people and they had big questions, big worldview questions. And of course I was still attending church um, because it was a bit of a, a ritual, you know, that's just what we did. And, um, and I wouldn't say I, it's hard for me to know exactly kind of when I became a Christian, to be honest. Um, was it, did I give my life to Jesus as a kid and then just kind of, uh, backslide in in my teen years, or was was it not a was it not real until I was in my twenties? I actually don't know the answer to that question. Um, and because I I can't point to a, a date, you know, some people can say on January, you know, twenty fourth, nineteen, whatever. That's when I became a Christian because I was just raised in the church, and I you know was there with my parents at you know six seven years old. And I believed in Jesus, but I don't think I really knew what that meant until I got to my 20s, where all of a sudden now I'm being challenged from the outside by my friends. And again, this is like friendly stuff. These people, they were really my friends. And some of them were Muslim and atheists and Jewish and you name it. Okay. From all these different religious backgrounds. And they were asking me, you know, so you go to church, you're a Christian. Why are you a Christian? And I remember saying to my friends, well, I'm a Christian because 
my parents are Christians. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I knew something was wrong with that. You know, I, it was all, it was almost like it was embarrassing and I wanted to take that back, you know, and that actually was a moment in my life that I'll always remember because it was embarrassing, but it led me to start searching for answers. And, uh, and I've been on that journey ever since. Um, but it was actually through that journey that my faith became real to me. Okay. It wasn't just my parents' faith. It became my faith. And, and that's why I say, I don't know if it was one of those things where I had faith, but it was shallow. And then it became like this substantial thing in my 20, early twenties, or whether that was the moment of like being born again. Um, only God knows, but, uh, but that, uh, that's kind of, you know, where we, that's kind of the journey I, I was on. The important thing is that, you know, now, right? Yeah, because that's right. I, I definitely think about that in terms of there's a lot of times where evangelism involves encouraging people to sign the back of a Gideon Bible and not yeah. really uh, caring for their soul and making sure that their soul is headed in the right place. That's what happens when we play the numbers evangelism game instead yeah. of being like, I really care for your soul and I want to make sure that when we get to eternity, you're there with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, and I agree with that. It's, um, it's not just cause I, I got the Gideon Bible, you know, um, I'm here in Canada, uh, near Toronto and, uh, things have gotten very, very secular here. Um, but I still remember when the Gideons would, you know, hand out the little red, you know, new testaments, um, in public school of all places. I mean, that would not happen anymore. But, and I don't th consider myself that old, you know, I'm going to turn 40 this month. And, uh, and yet, yeah, in my lifetime, the Gideons in Canada were handing out red Bibles and I, you know, signed the back of one. Um, and so you're right. We need to make sure that students understand what, what they're getting themselves into, right? What is the Christian faith? What am I, what am I really signing up for when I say I'm going to be a follower of Jesus? And, uh, and so that's something I think the church needs to do a better job of. Um, and, and that's one of the, one of the reasons why I'm doing the ministry that I do. So that leads me to my next question, which is when did apologetics become such an important thing to you and how did you decide to make it a major part of what you do? Cause that's why I discovered you because mm. I found your red pen logic with Mr. B videos and mm -hmm. that's why we're here today. So why don't you share that story? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned a moment ago, I started getting those questions from my friends and uh and so what i did was i you know went home and i did what most people do you google right that's what you do now i now a lot of people youtube youtube has become like the new google kind of thing um but i at the time okay what are the answers to these questions and what i discovered was there's there's this whole field of apologetics i never knew the word at the time I didn't know any apologists, you know, uh, people like famous apologists that, you know, 
most Christians would be aware of, never heard of them, you know? And so found answers like the question, Tim, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Or Tim, how do you know that God exists? Or if God exists, why is there so much evil in the world? You know, these kinds of like these big questions that we should be able to give a response to, give an answer to. Well, the answers to those questions kind of come out of this thing we call apologetics. And for those who may not be aware, apologetics is not going around saying, I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian, please forgive me. I usually joke, we make other people sorry, we're Christians. No, we don't do that either. Um, what we do is we give a defense or make a case for the Christian faith. So you could think of, um, although the analogy is not perfect, you could think of a lawyer kind of making their case in front of a judge and jury. So that might be one kind of illustration. Um, although that illustration has liabilities because a lawyer defends no matter what, right? Even if their client's guilty, they defend. So it may be more appropriate to think of an apologist kind of like a journalist, a lot of people will know the name Lee Strobel. He's an apologist. And he went from atheism to Christianity. And how, how he ended up in Christianity was, as a journalist, he started to investigate the claims of Christianity. In fact, the central claim. We're coming up on Easter here as we're talking. And uh, and so he, he, was, he was investigating the resurrection. And um, what he found was there was good evidence for it. So, um, so that would be a, an apologist is someone who investigates, does their research, finds the evidence, and then reports on it. And, uh, and so that's what I did. I would come back to school after doing some research, and I would, with my friends, talk about these issues. And man, they had so many questions, in particular about creation and evolution, because a lot of them were um, you know, science people, and so that was a big deal to them. How does science and faith come together? That kind of thing. Um, and what, here's what happened, Andrew. I was I, I I came to the realization: How could I be a Christian? I grow up in the church, and and discover this stuff in my early twenties. Why Why didn't anyone tell me this when I was six, or ten, or fifteen? How can I be, I think I was, you know, 22, 23. How could I be in my early 20s as a Christian and just be discovering this? And that bugged me. It was like, man, this is the kind of stuff, the material here needs to go out to the ends of the earth. Every Christian should know that there are answers to these kinds of questions. And even if they don't know the answer, just know that the questions are, the answers are out there and they're not the first person to ask these questions. So um, that led me to uh, want to be motivated to tell people that there's answers out there. And so I started doing apologetics and, um, and because I was going to be a future science teacher, that was my original plan. I thought, man, if I can teach physics, I can teach apologetics. So I started traveling around. In fact, I, I emailed like every church in the area and said, I want to come to your church and I want to, I want to tell your church about apologetics, essentially. Now, most churches in the area were like, who are you? You know, we're not, you know, we're not 
you're not invited kind of thing. And I don't blame them. You know, you, you get some random email. Um, so a lot of people turned me down. Um, but that's how it started. And I did eventually get an event, you know, it was like on a Friday night or a Saturday and I got a little group of people, maybe 15 people. And I had a little talk that I gave them and then they went and told their friends and it snowballed from there. You know how this works. And all of a sudden this is getting momentum now. And, um, after graduating, in, with my physics degree, I went to teacher's college and now I'm like, I am like pumped about apologetics. I spent more time in teacher's college talking with my friends, these future teachers about apologetics than I did about anything else. Like we would, uh, we could call them debates because that's what they were. We had these discussions or debates every single day. In fact, I remember one story, it's me and like, 15, 20 people all gathered around outside at the picnic tables and we're, we're debating and this guy taps me on the shoulder and he says, can you guys do this like on stage in front of everyone? Because we had like gathered a crowd and because people are interested in these topics. So we're talking about like the origin of the universe and how God the beginning points to a beginner. And of course, everyone's like watching now and interested in the topic anyways we it, it became a natural thing for me as a as a teacher i think having that gifting to want to move from discovering apologetics and being passionate about it to telling other people about it so that's kind of the transition and i went i was a teacher for a number of years um but in my mind i'm thinking this is not this is not it for me i want to leave high school teaching and become a like a professional apologist speaker. Now, I don't know if that's in the plan, you know, God's will be done kind of thing. Um, but uh, fortunately God has blessed me and we have, we're able to transition from, from teaching full-time to now being a full-time speaker. Well, that's pretty exciting, and it's another thing that we have in common because in addition to hosting my podcast, I also have a speaking ministry where I travel around and preach to different audiences, cool. and I have done the whole cold churching thing where I you know, go through lists of churches in Michigan and other other places and send out emails, and more often than not, it's I don't know you. I don't know why you would email me but not at this time, but mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while, a new opportunity arises and, you know, I made so many connections through this podcast even. And actually the podcast came out of a desire to make sure that I had something new to post every single week, even if I didn't have a new sermon to post because I wanted to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. When I was first embarking on the podcasting journey, I was like, well, I want to do a one hour podcast every month. That was what I wanted to do. And then I talked to someone in radio about podcasting and such. And he's like, well, if you only do it once a month, people aren't going to tune in. Yeah. They're not going to remember that you have content. So you need to do it once a week. And plus when I finally got into the studio to record my first podcast, 
I did seven minutes and I felt like it was an hour. So I realized it was going to be a much more difficult endeavor than I thought originally. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You have to, um, if you want to kind of make it into, I know we're going to transition to talking about some red pen stuff and doing like, you know, producing content, you need to do it on a regular basis. And uh, I know I'm still learning, you know, so busy. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to come up with some new stuff this week. And, uh, but I like you, there's something, um, that is soul feeding about providing content for people it causes you to think through something. So even before we jumped on here, um, I posted something on Facebook, you know, something I've been thinking about, I'm reading through the gospels and I'm reading through, a, you know, the Easter story and, uh, kind of this is a little tangent, but I come to this text where the chief priests and the scribes are mocking Jesus on the cross. And they say, come down from the cross so that we might see and believe. And I thought, whoa, 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 wait a second. These guys say, if you come down now, Jesus, from that cross, we'll see and believe. And 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 the observation I made was, oftentimes people will, will demand evidence, like these chief priests, come down. We'll see him believe. But these chief priests were the same guys who who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And what did they do? They sought to kill him because people were believing in Jesus on account of his testimony. So they had evidence. They had signs and wonders. Jesus provided those things. And so I make this observation that even though they demanded evidence, they weren't real seekers. They were mockers. And the Bible makes this contrast between seekers and mockers. And mockers make bad seekers. In fact, when someone is mocking, likely they're not following the evidence where it leads. And these chief priests, my suspicion is if Jesus had come down from the cross, they would have put him right back up there because they, they, they weren't after the truth. And, uh, and so anyways, I just, this observation came to me and I thought, Hey, I want to put this content out there. So whether making it uh, through making a video or, you know, posting it on, you know, the Facebook page, which is what you found for Red Pen Logic, there's something really important about um, getting that content out there and accessible for people so they can learn from it. But it's also good for me, too. It's like almost therapeutic, you know, to take my ideas and take them from my head and put them on something or speak them out, you know. Um, so that's great. Well, I've been challenging myself because I realize that in order to feed people, I have to be fed. And so Red Pen Logic has been part of being fed, and I appreciate that. I appreciate how awesome. God causes the body of Christ to work together. And just a couple observations on what you talked about. Your observation about the Pharisees and come down from the cross and we'll believe kind of mm. reminds me of why this whole mentality of a seeker-friendly church can be mm. dangerous. Because yeah. what does the Bible say? It says if you seek, you will find. So yeah. if someone is seeking, quote-unquote, a seeker, but they're looking everywhere but at God, they're not yeah. really seekers because Jesus gives yeah. – it has an ironclad guarantee. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that I would mention is those religious leaders were always missing the point 
one of my favorite mm-hmm. observations to make from the pulpit is that in the instance of the lame man from the pool of Bethesda, mm-hmm. where Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, he was walking with his bed on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees cared more about the bed being carried on the Sabbath than the man yeah. who was laying in it. That's right. That's good. That's right. Uh, see, this is uh, this is important, and I like the way you put it. Like we we get fed as we feed others, we get fed in the process, and so um, having this ministry is as much a blessing to me as it may be for those who regularly, you know, tune into Red Pen Logic or whatever. Yeah. All right. So I have questions about both of these on here, so I'll just kind of ask them together. Okay. What came first, Stand to Reason or Red Pen Logic? Good question. So um, here's this is a fun story, okay? Um, it's It's a God thing completely so and and you'll appreciate this andrew because sometimes we try to manufacture you know i want to be a speaker and so how am i going to get there well i'm going to email everybody and i'm going to i'm going to become a speaker you know and it's it's interesting how god works because it was going to be on his timing if it was going to happen um not on mine and it was going to be through his power not my own now i'm not saying don't work you know I, i have a motto bloom where you're planted. Okay. And if that means God is going to give me, you know, the broom closet as the, of the church to speak to five people or something, and that's it, then, then, okay. That's, that's what it is. But, um, what ended up happening was I worked at a Christian school for a few years. And one of the things every year we would do is go to a, a Christian school teachers convention. And, um, and so I was able to do that. And at, when I, when I, when I wanted to teach on apologetics, I actually reached out to the Christian school con- teachers convention and said, what do you guys think about having me as a breakout speaker talk about what every student needs to know about truth and what every student needs to know about science and faith? So I was going to do two talks and they said, you know, that sounds interesting. Let's do that. So we, I, I know I did my two talks and they were actually packed out. Um, they had, I mean, tons of these teachers showed up to hear about these two topics. I thought, okay, this is really cool. So then they invited me back the next year, the the organizers. And they said, can you do six talks? We want you to do six breakout sessions. Now I said, yes, but here's the thing. I didn't have six talks. I had two, right? So now I'm like, I agreed to it, but I'm thinking, okay, I got a year to come up with six talks you know the two i already had i'll repeat those i just need four more okay so flash forward a year okay so i'm i'm blooming where i'm planted i did a couple speaking events um for basically you know no money that kind of thing it wasn't i wasn't about the money it was like i just want to be doing this ministry so i show up at this teacher's convention the next year and wouldn't you know it sean mcdowell the like kind of famous apologist Sean McDowell. He's the son of Josh McDowell, who wrote you know, I don't like eighty books or something. Okay, so um, Sean McDowell is there as the keynote speaker. He's like he's been invited, flown in from California. This is so cool. So I see him. I'm like I didn't even realize he was going to be there. I was so concerned with getting my own talks and stuff together. 
I didn't know they were going to have another apologist. So I go up to Sean and I say, Sean, um, I'm, my name's Tim. And I, and I say to him, I want to do what you do. And he's probably looking at me like, who are you? You know, and, and get this guy away from me kind of thing. But I, I, I said, can you, I would love it. I'd be honored if you would come to one of my sessions. And it worked out because he had a busy schedule too. He could come to one of my breakout sessions. So he ended up sitting at the back of the room, had his notepad, took some notes. Okay. And before when it ended, he had to like jet because he had another session. I think a keynote talk. Okay. So, but he came to me and said, Tim, I got to run, but I want to talk to you. Maybe we could go out for dinner tonight. And I'm thinking, this is a dream come true. I get to go. I want to go over. I'm going to go for dinner with Sean. So we went out for dinner. We must have talked for, I don't know, three or four hours. Okay. And at the end of that conversation, after at the end of dinner, he said, Tim, I want to help you. I want to help you become an apologist. So he flies back to California. And a few months later, this was probably October. On on uh, you go forward to April first, April Fool's Day. I get a text message on my phone from Stan to Reason, saying, "It was actually uh, my friend Brett Kunkel. He was working there at the time. He said, Hi, this is Brett Kunkel.' Um, I can can you can you give me your email? Now I thought this was an April Fool's joke. I thought there's no way Brett Kunkel." He said, I was talking with Sean McDowell and I have a question for you. And I'm thinking, is this my brother? Is this like someone playing a, a nasty prank on me? But I, I, so I looked up the number and it was from California. I'm thinking, this is a legit number from California. I emailed them back and, and it turned out they were inviting me to come speak at their youth conference in front of, at the time, 1,100 students. They were going to fly me there. It's the first event I've ever flown to. This is the first. They're going to pay me real money. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I remember when I was when I did my talk there, um, I was flying home, and I thought, this plane can crash right now, and I've had a good life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, the, like, it doesn't get any better than this. Well, it turned out it did get better because that talk that I gave, on stage was almost like a job interview because they ended up calling me back and said, Tim, we want you back. We want you to come back next year to speak, but how about you just come work for us? And I was thinking, Oh man, this is so cool. And um, believe it or not, we had, we turned down the job originally because they wanted me to move to California. And I really want to reach the people of Canada. Okay. There's a number of reasons why I've stayed put here in Canada. This was back in 2015. Um, we ended up working it out so that, uh, I could live. They called me back, said, okay, live in Canada, but make sure you're next to an airport because you gotta, we're going to make you fly everywhere. Okay. So here we are like seven, eight years later, coming up on eight years. Um, and I've been withstand a reason. It's been a dream come true. And so I want I want your listeners to hear this. Bloom where you're planted and and be faithful with what God has given you and and just watch what God ha- what God does. Um 
it it has been it has felt like me riding a wave for the last eight years. Like I'm not doing I'm just trying to stay on the board. You know what I'm saying? Like the wave is doing all the work. And that's how it's been. Um and uh and I, I you know, I feel the privilege to do it. So that's that's the standard reason thing. So people I just want to plug standard reason. It's an amazing apologetics organization. I um, was going there as as a as a person who had questions. They were the web, one of the websites I was going to. So I knew about Standard Reason before they ever hired me. In fact, I was using their material and making talks based on their material. And actually, that was one of the things I I had um a, this talk called Tactics based on a book from Standard Reason, Greg Kokel. And I had it on, this talk was recorded on YouTube. And I was, when I first got the message, hey, this is Brett Kunkel from Standard Reason. I thought, oh no, they're going to tell me to take my video down. Like they're mad at me for using their material. That's what I thought. Um, But it turned out they loved it. They wanted people to use their material and get the message out. So anyways, that's, that's the Standard Reason story right there. So that is part one of my conversation with Mr. B. And next week, um, Tim Barnett and I will be discussing his YouTube channel, Red Pen Logic, and how it, among so many other things, was a ministry outreach that came out of the pandemic. Remember, we had a similar conversation with John Bullen about the creation of the Thorn theatrical event well now we're going to hear how red pen logic had similar origins next week so make sure that you stay tuned for that if you've enjoyed this first part of this interview please share this episode with your family and friends and with that being said have a great week and keep serving the best of masters Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.